Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So this week we continue our sermon series, Faith That Works, and I've titled this week's sermon, Getting In Control. Like so many things in life, it's so much easier to move forward and make progress if things are in control rather than in chaos. Why should our lives be any different to that? Indeed, why should our walk with our Lord Jesus be any different to that? Why should it be exempt from needing us to be in control? Last week, James was urging us to tame our tongues, but he emphasised the need for us to ensure that our words were kept under control, that we had that option of speaking words of life and love into people's lives, or that our words had the potential to tear someone down or to destroy them or their reputation. But it's incredibly important that we understand that, that our words matter. That we are called as Christians to build people up, speak about the love of God into their lives. And this week James continues on that theme but moves on into the need for us to control not our tongues, but our minds. That we need to seek wisdom. But he says don't seek uh, an earthly wisdom. That there are two kinds of wisdom. That there's a, a worldly wisdom, but there's also a godly wisdom. That we need to seek that godly wisdom. Because he says that, that the worldly wisdom in verse 15, where he says that it is not all. This, world, this worldly wisdom keeps us grounded. It doesn't come from above like the godly wisdom does. And he very helpfully maps out the differences between the two. In verse 17, he says that godly wisdom is pure, that it's untainted, that it's pure. That it loves peace, looks to, to get rid of conflict, looks to meet that place of peace, that it's gentle, says you're willing to yield, it's not going to get on its high points, think it's right all the time, but willing to concede when you might be wrong. It's full of mercy, that it cares for others. Produces good deeds. You may remember from a few weeks that it shows no favoritism or partiality. And that ultimately it plants these seeds of peace. That's a godly wisdom. But alternatively, the worldly wisdom, or earthly wisdom as James refers to it, it sets us up for a fall because it's not humble. 
and it opens us up to that risk of becoming jealous, becoming envious, and ultimately starting to judge others. You might remember a while back, it feels like just yesterday, but when I came here to to, to preach as the soul nominee back in April, and I spoke about King Solomon, this young king who who realised that the task before him was massive, that he'd been given this role as David's son to rule over God's people, been chosen, wasn't sure he'd be able to do it, and God asked him, what, what can I do for you? What would you like? And Solomon's response sort of surprised him, because he could have asked for anything, but he asked, for a godly wisdom. He knew that if he was left to his own devices, that he might be prone to making poor decisions, maybe not always being in control, that he wanted to be able to do the work that was ahead of him to the best he possibly could, and he knew that he needed that godly wisdom, that he needed to be in tune with God. And I refer to it as having that listening heart. That we're always listening to what God is wanting to say to us. He needed self-control. And if we read through Solomon's story, we realise that he lets that slip at times. Because he's a human being. But his desire was there to be kept in control. And in fact, self-control was a massive theme throughout the New Testament. Find it all the way through the Gospels and the letters. Self-control is massive. And the reason that, that it, it's so big is that it requires us to make that conscious decision of moving our thinking away from worldly things, earthly desires, and towards that desiring of a, a godly wisdom to be more like God. And it requires a sacrifice and a decision to go all in with Jesus, and that isn't always easy. You know, there's that account in the, the book of Acts, chapter 24, where Paul is, is, is preaching the gospel to Felix. And as he's preaching the gospel, Felix is, is getting interested, quite likes this idea of, of God who's all one. And then Paul gets to that point about self-control. And as soon as he gets to the point about needing self-control and receiving it from God, Felix doesn't quite like this part. And he sends Paul away. I spoke earlier about the the letter to to the Galatians, that list of, of the various fruit. It's interesting that there's almost a comparison but James is talking about the, the almost the fruit of a, a godly wisdom. And it's no surprise that self-control is right there in that list that Paul puts in Galatians. Well, the fact that, that with Felix in, in the book of Acts, we realise that this isn't a modern-day issue, a modern-day struggle. The people have been struggling with this idea of self-control. 
there's godly wisdom that we need to seek for thousands of years, probably even further back than that. And we'll continue to do so until our Lord Jesus returns. I think there's a battle in the mind that's happening each and every day. We can look in magazines or, or newspapers. We see a whole bunch of people with a, a lack of control. Musicians who live out loud. Famous actors who are now disgraced. They haven't been able to control themselves. Politicians. Very recent example. But they don't have what they say and what they do in check and in tune. They've allowed that control to get out of hand. They not only hurt themselves, but they hurt others too. In fact, I probably don't even need to look all that far than just in the middle to realise that self-control is an issue. I know that when I look in the mirror, I see someone that is significantly chunkier than he was just a couple of years ago. This last year and a half has been tough for us all. But the one thing that, that, that seems to have become easier is for me to neglect exercise. Not everyone have been suitably impressed with the amount of people that have taken up exercise over this last year and a half. But the thing for me was that it became far easier to sit and watch TV and to eat a whole bunch of junk food. I wasn't able to play basketball or football with my friends every week. As soon as you took that out, easy for me to slip into the pattern of not really looking after myself. Self-control is hard, which is why we need to seek that godly wisdom. And I clearly have a, a, a sweet tooth and enjoy snacking. But when I do that, it has a, a knock-on effect, not only to my health, but to the way the clothes sit on my body, a little bit tighter. Hallelujah for the little straps at the back of the waistcoat. I'm not as thin as I was just a few years ago, but I'm working with James points out that a godly wisdom is both knowledge, but it is also practical. But it's humble. But I want to be practical in the sense that we don't just talk about our wisdom, but we actually put it into practice. Is it about God? Is a body of acts and the, the wisdom that we're receiving is a body of wisdom we need to have to allow ourselves to act. I remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at what James refers to as a genuine Christianity. At the end of, of chapter 1 of his letter, where he speaks of, of hearing and doing the work. But it's not just a simple thing of, of hearing a great message and thinking that's, that's brilliant and retaining all that kind of knowledge. But if you don't do anything with it and if you're not transformed by the Word of God, then you're only doing a half thing there. But James is urging us that we need to 
through the fullness of hearing God's word being transformed and inspired to action. Because there's no point in being biblically or theologically smart. No point in being able to quote Bible verses if you do nothing with it. That hasn't changed you. Because all you end up having is words on a, a nice shiny certificate for your wall, a piece of paper for you to gaze upon proudly. So having that godly wisdom, it requires us to, to be pure and humble, that we might submit our authority to God. And when I think about giving up authority to God, I'm always drawn to a passage in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 10. And it's, it's titled The Rich Man. Mark chapter 10, in verse 17. Is Jesus out teaching? And it says here, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And then this verse. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. In that passage, Jesus is walking around and teaching. And we read that this man comes running to him, eager to hear more. He asks, What do I need to inherit eternal life? Depending on your translation, it might say the kingdom of God. How do I receive the kingdom of God? We read that Jesus looks upon him in love. And he says you need to go home, sell off your possessions, give away all your money, and then come and follow me. But we read that the young man goes away sad. He knew just how much he was going to have to give up. This is a man who genuinely wanted to know more about God. He was running to Jesus. How do I get into the kingdom of God? How do I inherit eternal life? He was a good man. But he struggled to give up that one thing. Holding on to that one thing. Not willing to submit to Jesus. And that passage is often used um, to talk about money and being willing to, to give to those less fortunate as yourself, and that, that's right. But there's that underlying thing within the passage. You see, for that young man, the thing that was holding him back from going all in with Jesus was his pursuit of wanting to hang on to. For dear life, 
his material wealth. He just couldn't give up. He was frightened about what the world would look like. What would his life be like? And I think it's usually for the same reason we might too have those thoughts. Might be holding back from going all in with Jesus. We're not quite sure what it would look like moving forward. We might see it as a massive gamble to go all in. You see, unlike a, a game of poker, where if you go all in, you risk losing everything. When you go all in with Jesus, you gain everything. That passage from Mark's Gospel is a reminder to us that if we have everything in a worldly sense, but don't have Jesus, that we certainly don't have everything. Jesus says later on in that passage that you will receive everything 100-fold, more than you could ever imagine. It's as sure fire and all in as you can get, but it requires us to submit our authority to God, and that's hard. See, in contrast to that godly wisdom, James highlights what a false wisdom looks like, that earthly wisdom. That it creates, or it has the potential to create, a, a bitterness within us. That we start to think like the world thinks. We might start to think that we're not getting what we deserve. We put in a lot of work here. Why am I not getting what I deserve? We might have put a lot of work into something and not seen any fruit at all. We start to become bitter. We might start to become envious of other people. We look at their life and we think they, have a, they must have a much better life than me. We don't know their life. Things could look great on the outside. We start to envy their life. We start to think it's unfair that we don't have it. Now we can start to become selfish. We start to think about ourselves. That's the only thing that matters. We become the number one priority. The thing with selfishness is it goes against completely what James is saying. We must have a faith that works. A faith that takes into consideration other people. That when our faith goes to work, it's not purely to work for us, but it's to work for others, as we're called to build the kingdom. You see, the thing is, like last week, when we were looking at the taming of the tongue, the whole problem there was that we didn't, when we didn't have control of our tongues, then we weren't under control in what we say. That our tongues can either reflect the, the love and glory of God, or it can reflect something completely different. As Jesus says, the, the mouth spews forth what is in the heart. And if we are feeling angry or we feel slighted or selfish, then more often than not that's going to come out of our mouths. 
However, if our, our hearts are filled with the, the love of God, then that's the only thing that can come in. Same way with our tongues when we become selfish, we don't have our self-control in check. When we aren't seeking that, that godly wisdom, then our selfishness can start to speak ill of other people. We might start to criticise people who maybe do things differently to us, they might look different to us, might speak differently to us. But then there's this ultimate thing. The last part of the passage that Moira read for us this morning, from verse 11 in chapter 4. <coughs> James warns us not to judge other people. See, the problem with an earthly wisdom, a worldly wisdom, is that our ego can kick in. We start to retreat into ourselves, thinking of our own selves as the number one priority. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with ensuring that you're okay. That's right. Absolutely nothing wrong with being ambitious wanting to do more. There's nothing whatsoever wrong with wanting to become wiser. As long as we have it all in check and focus in the right places. Paul says in Colossians, set your mind on things that are above, not of the earth. Because when we fail to do that, and then we throw selfishness into the mix, we start to have a problem. Not only do we run that risk of starting to speak ill of each other, start to criticise people when they do things differently, we might get to that point where we start to judge them. Let's not forget that James isn't writing to the world here. James is writing to a church. hardest thing in the world for us to get our head around is the fact that the one place on the earth, the one place on the earth that people should feel comfortable, at peace, loved, and not just is in here, the church. And unfortunately that hasn't always been the case. To experience something completely other, to comfort, and peace, love, to receive judgment. And that's the religion of God. They must be evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So how are you to judge your neighbor? 
James says, brothers and sisters, who are you to judge anyone? When you judge a brother or sister in Jesus, you're effectively going against the law and effectively judging God himself. Each one of us is a child of God. Each one of us created in his image. We've no right to judge anyone in the church or out of it. The whole point of a godly wisdom is one that seeks to be more and more like Jesus each and every day. Jesus was God made flesh for us. He is our Lord and our Savior. He should be the example that we strive to be more like each and every day of our lives. Rather than judging people, we're called to show them the love of God. That when we have a faith that, that works, our tongues would be under control. That we would be driven by our faith to act in ways that reflect God's love and glory. See, just like Solomon, when he realized that the task before him was massive, we too have a hard job of controlling our tongues and our minds. We can also struggle with not getting too wound up about how amazing we are. To the point where we start to act in ways that ignore, or at the very worst, are unloving to each other. So if there's anything that you take away from this morning, let me this. If a God who loves you, you're created in his image, but so is everyone else. They too are loved by God. They too are created in his image, even if they are unaware of it. We have no right to judge anyone, whether we agree or we disagree with what they do or what they say, whether they are different to us. James is reminding us that if we rely solely on ourselves, we run the risk of falling into the patterns of the world where we will start to speak negatively about others. And that that can lead all the way to becoming selfish and becoming judges of other people. But that each and every one of us has no right to judge anyone. Because ultimately there is one judge. And he says that we want you. He showed that by coming to earth in the person of Jesus willing to go through the ultimate sacrifice on the cross in our place. If we are truly sorry and repent, seeking more of his wisdom, a willingness to be transformed, we are forgiven. So this week I don't know which parts of your life you might be holding back from God. The things that get in the way for going all in with Jesus. I urge you to pray about it. Speak to someone, speak to me. Seek the strength, that supernatural strength that comes through the Holy Spirit to go all in with Jesus. Inherit the eternal life that is offered before you. Seek a godly wisdom that grows in the ways that James writes in his life.
that you might have a wisdom that is pure, a love of peace, a wisdom that is gentle and full of mercy, one that doesn't show partiality or favoritism. So let today be the day that we recommit ourselves to getting our minds in control, that through our faith we ask for a godly wisdom that drives us to act for others, to love one another as God loved us first. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you know the things that we struggle with. Those times where our self-control is out of control. We pray for, for more of your spirit to act in our lives. We recommit ourselves to you this morning. We pray for your healing. And just like Solomon, seek that, that godly wisdom that we might become better stewards of all that you've given us. the desire to, to, to the earthly things. Now we place our eyes on things of the world. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you when we go all in with you. But it's a surefire one. things that we need to, to set apart and set away. Things that get in the way of us loving you more. Can you hear our prayer? For we offer it in your precious name. Amen.